Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton. Get the show out there on their market. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it's Google Podcasts, whether it's TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. Share this with whoever you know is into Texas Longhorn Sports. Also, our podcast host, Podian, is offering all of our listeners a free 14-day trial of their premium services and 25% off your first three months of those same premium services. All you got to do is sign up using the offer code Longhorn. Now, I talk about this every week, but Podian just makes it so easy to make a podcast. All you got to do is record and edit your stuff. You upload it, you hit publish, and it takes care of the rest. So if you've ever thought about starting a podcast, now is the time. You can get a 14-day free trial of the premium services and 25% off your first three months of a premium membership. All you got to do is go to podient.co. That's P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O. Sign up using the offer code Longhorn. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who all year, not just one week, follows the time with and OU still sucks, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, pretty good. It's uh, it's 1034 and uh, OU still sucks. Um, I'm coming out swinging, feeling like uh, Andrew Beck in pregame. You know, I'm, I'm ready for a uh, for a good pod this week. Uh, you know, this this is coming off a weekend for me that uh, I get to do something off the life bucket list. Congratulations to the McCunes, my god sister and I guess now god brother in law. Um, <laughs> got married and asked me to officiate the wedding, and I got to do that. I was nervous as heck, but uh, we got through it, and, and everyone seemed to enjoy it. So, uh, not a dry eye in the house, of course, but it was awesome. So I'm I'm uh, feeling like a million bucks, man. I, I'm I'm proud. I got to coach you through some of that. It was really a big moment for me. Um, so yeah, it, I, it was incredible. And in Texas, got a W in Manhattan, so it was a good weekend. So we're going to talk some Texas football. We'll look back at what happened in Manhattan, and then we'll look forward to the Red River Shootout Showdown rivalry, whatever you want to call it. Texas plays OU this week. We've got a little bit of news for you, and then we'll close the show out with some bang the drum. So the talk going into Saturday was simple. Texas hadn't won in Manhattan in 16 years. Caden Stern was the ripe old age of 24 months. The last time Texas won in Manhattan, Bill Snyder and Ron Prince, who is still haunts my dreams, <laughs> owned Texas in their 10 years, especially in Manhattan. Texas started off looking like they were boat racing them. Uh, they, Kansas State continued with the weird decision to play Alex Delton over Skylar Thompson. Texas jumped out to a 19-0 halftime lead. And then uh, Kansas State came roaring back with two second-half scores. Texas managed to hold off the Wildcats and come away with a 19-14 victory, advancing to 4-1 for the first time since 2012. It's been a long time. So, Kyle... What stuck out to you about this game in Manhattan and and kind of the trends that are emerging for the Longhorns now that we're, you know, five games into the season and and heading into probably the toughest matchup of the year? Well, Texas finally got off the uh, snide in Manhattan. Um, So I, uh, 
I didn't expect a lot. I knew it was going to be ugly and a slobber knocker and just, you know, you, you're not going to go into Manhattan, Kansas, which is, again, three hours from anything um, and, and really the epitome uh, of nothing and just expect to play your best brand of football with a pretty, you know, to their credit, raucous crowd, even for, you know, a team that hasn't had the best results and, and a coach who's the most detail-oriented human probably to ever uh, walk the earth or, or at least to, to do the, the college football coaching profession. So it's it's tough to just come in and think you're going to run them out of the building in their own house by 42 points. But I really didn't think that it would have been as close as it was. I guess you can say the good news for the Horns is they finally played four consecutive quarters in a row. Woo! It just happened to be that uh, two of them were the final two against TCU and the other two were the first two against uh, against Kansas State. So maybe we need to be a little bit more specific in our requests on this podcast. But, uh, you know, for me... I think it's hard to really microanalyze this game and say, oh, okay, this is the trend for the rest of the season because Kansas State just doesn't play football like a lot of the other Big 12 teams. Um, you saw it when they made the decision to go kind of with their running uh, quarterback for this game and, and, and really in the first half forego a lot of their, their passing options. And you even saw it on some plays when you know another Big 12 team with a with a uh, more robust passing attack this the looks and the open receivers and kind of some of the uh, situations they were in they could have really really punished that defense um, but that's not all just that's not to say that it was all bad or you know you're leaving there with nothing it's it's a win in Manhattan there's some good things we can we can you know get into some of the positives and then look for areas of improvement um, I mean right off the top what do you think of what do you think of the quarterback play? I mean, we've had one quarterback take all the snaps the entire season, so he's the guy. What do you think of uh, Mr. Ellinger? Sam Ellinger is a game manager, and I think in the good sense of the term. Mm. I think Sam Ellinger is at a point now where he is doing just enough to win games. He's doing just enough to win games, and I think – that's good with the way that the defense has been playing. I mean, Eli Manning got a Super Bowl managing games. Uh, so I think it's it's great. I think Ellinger probably needs to continue to progress a bit in the passing game. But but he he's been really impressive to start games. And I got some stats. You don't you haven't seen these stats. I've been hiding them from you intentionally. <laughs> so in the first half of games, you ready for this? So uh, everybody knows the the 128 pass attempts without an interception, which is great. But so against Kansas State, Ellinger, 70 of his 207 came in the first quarter. So for in the first half of games this year, Sam Ellinger is 54 of 83 for 677 yards and five touchdowns. That's a quarterback rating of 153.45. 153.45. In the first half of games. Okay. So Early on, Ellinger is really good setting the table for the team to close it out. And I think that's huge because if they can play consistent and good early, then the defense is good enough to close things out. Yeah, I mean, that number you just gave me is elite. That's uh, that's Joe Flacco numbers. You know, that's that's good. No, I kid. Um, <laughs> that's, those, are, those are truly elite college football numbers. Um, I know it, it was one of Ellinger and kind of the team's, you know, goals to – uh, score fast, and they made you know winning the first quarter one of their gold stars or whatever that that he gives the the team um, to ultimately buy them donuts. Um, but you know I, I think it's it's good to have goals and set them and do them. I I just wish they would have a goal to to you know 
to have a consistent performance in that way. Uh, do you have the stats for the second half by chance? Uh, I would need to look them up, but they're. they're... Well, I, I will tell you. I will tell you that they are not nearly as good, um, and, and that obviously takes into account the Maryland game. So even if you take that out as an outlier, just thinking back, you know, obviously the Tulsa second half, we didn't rely a ton on, on him making plays with his, with his arm. There were a couple, um, but you know, made a couple plays with his feet and really just tried to get the run game going to get us out of there. Um, you know, obviously Kansas state game wasn't electric. Um, you know, USC and TC may be a little bit different. Uh, that, that was a, you know, relatively, uh, good second half in, in the TCU game and a consistent, uh, in the, in the USC game. So, I mean, I, I would, Yes, they're probably closer to like a hundred quarterback rating or something. If I'm just spitballing, yeah, one twenty six. Oh wow! So so that means he's actually higher than I would have expected for the year. So I mean, this was this was one of those games that the stat sheet kind of lies a little bit. You know, <laughs> those happen. Um, you you look at the kind of just key performance, and and it looks like oh, they really dominated. You know, Ellinger was like eighty percent completion. Um, percentage, you know, they they just the uh, the yards in favor were were quite uh, significant uh, to to Texas. You know, you had uh, a couple key guys who you expect to get off. You know, the, the mark doing pretty well. Um, was it just a case of being good between the twenties and you can't do it in the red zone? I mean, twenty three first downs, three hundred forty total yards, no turnovers does not, in my mind, equate to ten offensive points. Yeah, and it's. It's weird because I think they they decided to do some weird things in the red zone, and I think at some point this offense has got to figure out what it wants to be and who it wants to be. And I think that's the big thing because uh, Keontae Ingram, lead, lead rusher for the game, 10 rushes, 69 yards, no scores. But there were like whole quarters where Ingram was not in the game. Now I know he's still nursing a couple of injuries, but I just I just think the coaches are well aware of what their best staff is. I just don't know why they continue to to decide to shift those things up. And there were a couple of spots where Texas had some opportunities to score and then some dumb penalties kind of cropped up on them and cost them. Or there were penalties that kept Kansas State scoring drives alive. Honestly, both of those scoring drives were kept alive by weird penalty situations. So theoretically, it could have been a 19-0 shutout if those you know pass interference calls uh, don't get called. So it was just a weird game. It was just a weird game, but I think really when push comes to shove, uh, this is a game that I think goes the other way a year ago. Yeah, and, and I mean, if you have to take one thing away from this game, I, I think it might be that. Like, not just a year ago, maybe the past four or five years, these are games that Texas sometimes seemed to find a way to lose. It was, you know, oftentimes they would battle in games, but there was games in Charlie era and even, even you know, like you said last year, um, where they got up and then just stalled out and the other team ran right by them, you know, and, and, and that's a loss. This is a team that it looks like has, has figured out a way and got that, that feeling in their belly. And, you know, you have to kind of feel it's cliche, but you have to appreciate it. As Herman says, they didn't know how to win last year. They look like they know how to do that. Winning ugly is still winning. I will take those ever moral victories every single day of the week. I think, obviously, I think a big piece of this success though, um, I don't want to overlook the defense. You know, I, I think there's still some issues. I think there's still some areas. Uh, Kansas State is not a great offense, you know, where they, they should have 
looked as, as good as they did really in kind of that six to eight minute stretch in the second half where everyone's uh, hearts were in their throat. Um, I think obviously the switch um, back to Skylar Thompson had something to do with that. Um, I, you know, but I, I don't want to say it was all negative. Our, our defensive line did something for the first time this year. I mean, we've been calling for it. Our boy, Big Chuck. Come on, uh, Chuck. The, ch- the Chuck wagon, baby. Two sacks, uh, one for a safety. I mean, come on. Like, the guy was in the backfield. That was that was huge. Breck Hager, we've been calling for that. I mean, it was uh, – I, I, I thought the defense for, for most of the game, I'd say for 75%, was a dominant unit, a unit that looked like the class of the Big 12. I mean, what, what did you see from the defense? Yeah, it, it – Texas clearly knows how to handle a running quarterback. Texas definitely clearly knows how to handle a running quarterback. Uh, the dual threat thing, I think, was a bit weird for him. And I think, really, this was maybe been the most inconsistent game we saw from Caden Stearns all year, uh, which it's okay. He's a freshman. He's 18 years old. Uh, so he had a couple of weird spots. He got hurt uh, toward the middle of the game. So it was just it just felt like, it felt like one of those games that the defense was just that was the dam was holding together by its by its strings or whatever whatever dams are held together by the last little vestiges of concrete uh, holding back the water. Uh, there are cracks in there. Yeah, that's cracks. that's how you could tell this is a Longhorn podcast. If we were Aggies, we would have just had a fifteen minute sidebar on the exact concrete makeup, but. You know, thankfully, we've only give you the, the highlights. And feel free to shoot us an email, <laughs> longhornrepublicpod at gmail, to explain to us how the heck uh, dams are held together. No, but it just it felt like, again, a year ago, the defense has a more costly mental mistake because there were mental mistakes in this defensive game. You know, Chris Boyd had those two pass interference. Well, one yeah. ca- one pass interference that hit the stat sheet and one that didn't because there were offsetting penalties uh, that extended drives. That was bad. I love how aggressive Chris Boyd is, and I hate how aggressive Chris Boyd is. It's like yeah. it, it's you have to take the good with the bad, but against OU, that's going to kill you. You can't give them free downs. Uh, PJ Locke, he was a guy that I I absolutely love to sing his praises, and there's not a ton of that to do this year. Um, but talking about good, I mean, when push came to shove, when they needed to stop a running team on the two yard line to go into half and, and hold the shutout. It happened. Yep. Now, granted yep. a massive drop in the corner happened, but Kansas state should have punched it in on the two plays before that. So there's a lot of good to take from that as well. Oh yeah. As bad as, and, and I don't want to say they've been absolutely bad, but as an area for improvement, as it's been for the offense in the red zone, uh, our, our red zone defense has yet again been fantastic. You know, you think of the fourth down stop against USC, think about this halftime stop. I mean, that's not only like save seven points. That's a huge, huge, huge momentum boost. Um, I love the bend don't break. Um, one guy I want to call out in particular, I think um, has exceeded even my expectations, but uh, the shark, uh, Mr. McCullough uh, is looking fantastic. Um, and, and I really, truly thought we were going to miss Malcolm Roach uh, more than we did. And just, you know, the news came out uh, today that the, the season is going to be, uh, or the, excuse me, the injury uh, and surgery that he's had is going to be season ending. Uh, and so he will redshirt this year and, and uh, be back next year. Um, so, that's really putting some pressure on, on him and some of the other young guys to get in there and fill those spots. And he's done a really fantastic job. So I just wanted to call that out because we talked about the impact we would see when the, the injury really happened. And I think he's been great. And, and I think it's, it's, it's depth on the defense with these guys who can step up that, that makes me feel good. I think our second defensive line 
uh, unit has been pretty solid. Um, you know, getting in there to spell what now looks like a hopefully clicking at the right time starting line, especially on the ends um, with with Hager and, and I think Nelson. I think all three of them played a good game. Um, but you know that that depth is good. But I just kind of want to see the the perfect blend of all of our best talents out there at the same time because I I don't necessarily know right now as he's playing if PJ Locke, other than being a good you know good leader, a lot of experience or whatever is our best guy to be out there in our, our absolute best, you know, death lineup uh, secondary. I don't know if that's the case, and I'm not the coach. I don't see everything that happens in practice during the week, but I almost wonder if there's, you know, we're, we're saving kind of units the way, if we're San Antonio Spursing the way we, we have our units strategically laid out, or we, you know, we should be a Golden State Warrior where we really try to get to our crucial um, unit of death that, that can't be stopped, you know, and, and use that in the in the clutch minutes. I, I'm not sure where we sit, but, you know, I just feel like there's a little bit of tweaking that can be done um, that can that can just make things fire a little bit better, and, and, and especially as we play an offense coming up like Oklahoma. Yeah, and it's been it's been a weird, you know, guys suspended, guys injured, guys on the men. So it's kind of I don't mm-hmm. think the the defense, the the eleven that they would want on the field to for the beginning, middle, and end of the game have been healthy or available for the entire season. So I think it's interesting. One thing we have to talk about before we before we move on is the special teams. Special teams was I think the clinical definition of a mixed bag. Like I think, I think that's the definition of a mixed bag because you know you've got the massive, massive kick return for a touchdown that was just just incredible. I honestly assumed he lost all of the yards on that. Uh, <laughs> I was like, what, 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 Deshaun? What are you doing? Like, what's what's going on? And then cracks it off or the punt, excuse me, for a touchdown, takes it 90 to the house. Uh, and then Texas fair catches every kickoff from there on out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> every punt, every, every I, kickoff. I think Tom called it in his press conference. He's like, after that, we went with the safe punt unit. Like I get it. He's like, we're not going to strike that one twice. You know and I, I kind of respect that. Yeah. Well, and then, and then Cameron Dicker goes, go one for two hits a 28, misses a 48. So, the dicker giveth, the dicker taketh again. Uh, so the special, I think, if we get a punt return for a uh, touchdown against OU, that's huge. And I think Dicker needs to be able to hit some longer field goals because that's now I think three over forty that he's or over forty five that he's missed. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good point. I I don't want to put it on the freshman either. One of the freshman Bucheski as well. It seems to be getting a little bit his average. You know, is getting a little bit better, so I think that's good, and we knew that would come. But two freshmen, uh, kicker and punter, and our special teams, I don't want to have to rely on them. So when I say special teams, I hope they're as solid as you can you can hope for. But I, I hope we're doing it in other dynamic areas. Um, there was, you know, we we're up 19-0 on a kickoff. There was a fumble that I thought we recovered. If we get that, maybe all of a sudden that changes literally everything about this game. So I mean, it, it, it's it's a game of inches, right? Obviously we we know that. And one guy I was uh, you know, obviously the the person who returns the touchdown gets his name called out, but one guy who I thought was just fantastic was Josh Thompson who laid a pretty pretty sick block and then came from about 10 yards behind a very very fast Jamison um and and led the caravan. And that's the type of stuff you love to see. Like I mean, go make your name on special teams, and then the coaches, you know, are going to put you in on on the other things. You know, Josh Thompson's going to get a couple more reps uh, in the secondary, you know, and that's that's earned. Go work your butt off. So special teams can be an area not only to win games, but to you know to get those guys, service them up uh, to show they're ready for that next level. I mean, the only other thing, and I don't want to spend any length of time on it because you know 
the message boards do that, but but Kansas State zero penalties for zero yards, while UT had ten penalties for uh, 104 yards. And again, that would be Kansas State, who came into the game as the fourth worst in the conference in penalty yards. So kind of incongruous. I'm not you know going to add too much to it more than to say penalties are. Are terrible, you know, penalties at crucial times, like you talked about the Boyd or the uh, kind of early on um, penalties that stalled out a drive after we um, missed a wide, wide, wide open Duvernay um, for a touchdown, but then a penalty stalling out those drives. You know, that's the kind of stuff that just it just hurts. Those are points. Those are points off the board or in the other way put on the board uh, for the other team. So I mean, just just getting those worked out. The the, the absent-mindedness in critical times is is probably going to be a whiteboard thing for this week, I would imagine. Yeah, and, you know, Kansas State had four first downs off of penalties. Not not a good look. And there have been three times under Tom Herman where Texas has gone over 100 yards for penalties. Uh, I bet you could guess the other two. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's winning ugly is the only thing you're left with then, so I, uh, I, I don't want to make a habit of it. No. So Maryland are the other two times that Texas went over 100 yards. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 sorry. I, I – Assumed that we, we knew that, and I should have said that out loud. Maryland, which I don't, did those games even happen? I don't remember. I, I'm, I, um, there's there's a there's a turtle shaped hole in my memory. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a great uh, '60s country song. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's move on. Um, it's it's the week. It's the week. So for the first time since 2011, this first time that college game day will be in attendance. It's also the first time that both Texas and OU have been ranked since that time. So it's a big deal. The Red River shootout rivalry showdown, whatever you want to call it, is on. Big Tex is at the fairgrounds. The corny dogs are mm-hmm. frying. We're good to go. So they're going to be, it's going to be an interesting situation on the field. So OU comes in absolutely just on fire, undefeated. The offense is second to none. Well, it's second to a few, but whatever. Kyler Murray has been exactly what we thought he was going to be, which is incredible. The defense is also exactly what a lot of people thought, less than average. So, Kyle, going into what will be, honestly, the, the biggest test probably of the season for Texas on the whole, what's, what's, what's your feeling and what's what's sticking out to you as Texas matches up with OU? It takes every fiber of my being to remind myself that I'm a fan sometimes, and I'm also a, a journalist. So I'll be professional, and I won't just shout things about how OU sucks as my entire preview of this game. Um, no, I, I mean, it, let's see if Tom Herman's worth his money. If he can go ahead and install the wishbone in five days, I think we, uh, we take this one handily. Um, you saw what Army did to him, right? I mean, I don't think we're going to run the triple option and, and literally take 45 minutes uh, off the clock, but that's the biggest scare OU has had all year, and that's a team that did something that we highlighted in, in previous you know weeks, and, and this week we won the, the time of possession by five minutes. We said Texas wins when they win the time of possession. So I think a big thing is for that offense to continue to be efficient. Again, you don't have to do it with a triple option, but you do it with getting the run game going. You do it with making sure that Ellinger's doing what he did this week, which is, you know, keep the ball moving, keep completing short passes, take the shots when you have to, but, you know, keep keep the uh, the clock running and, and, and the ball moving. You do that. And you do it with your defense by, you know, coming up with, with big third down stops, um, you know, uh, getting some pressure on the quarterback to put him in an uncomfortable position. So there's all those things, right? Um, I think... 
I think that UT, I don't know if uh, the mentality of a Tom Herman team or the, these particular group of guys, um, but it's it's almost like as very cliche as it's been that they play to the level of who they they play against, you know, and and usually Texas being on your schedule is is one of on any given year, you know, but especially in, in days past, if not the biggest game on another team's schedule, they come and they play Texas. Teams come and want to kick Texas's butt. There's only one team that Texas plays that way. You know, that's OU. OU is our Texas. They're the team that we, no matter how good we are, how bad we are, whatever, we want to whip the tar out of them. We want to take their fingers, prop them up the correct way, and show them how horns should be held. Like, we, you know, even if if OU was number one and we were one and four, I would think that Texas had the, the propensity to come out and make it a game. Doesn't always happen, but usually they come out and just want to play, you know, till they're bleeding out of their eyes. So I, I think Texas plays up. They're going to look like, if OU looks like the number six team in the country, Texas is going to look like they're about the number somewhere between four and ten team in the country. They're going to play to the level of OU. Um, and I feel like this one could go either way. I think the line is seven and a half right now from Vegas. I could see it being closer than that. You know, I, I really could see this being being a, a dogfight. I think for, for me... The, the tail of the tape, and again, I could be eating my words this time next week, but the tail of the tape for me is, yeah, OU has looked incredible, but the best team OU has played this year was Baylor. Like, they played FAU, that's two and three. Yeah. FAU's two wins are the Air Force Academy and Bethune-Cookman. UCLA <laughs> is 0-4. Iowa State is 1-3. Played OU to 10 points without Kyle Kempt. Right. And then Baylor, 66 to 33. So they doubled up Baylor, but Baylor scored 33 on you. Right. It's, I mean, they haven't played anybody. like you said, Baylor is the is the best team they've played. And, and, and I don't even think Baylor fans thought that, you know, they should have put 33 points up Charlie Brewer, you know, they, they have a great quarterback there and I, I think they're going to, they're going to have something, but I don't necessarily think this year is the year that they should be um, running over you. And, and I mean, it, it started off pretty even really. I mean, OU you open it up obviously later, but it started off, they were trading punches. And so, you know, I, you're right. I, I said, OU is going to play like the number six team in the country. It could very well be much more to the fact that we both play like the number 18 or 19 team in the country, you know, this, this could very well be the other way that we both make some, some boneheaded mistakes. And this is the first time OU is really tested. I just think wherever OU goes, it's going to be like Tom Cruise and the MIG upside down, right above them. We're going to be right there with them. Um, You know, it's, it's uh, uh, inverted. Yeah. Um, It's going to be, it's going to be close. I really think so. But I, I think that's a really good point, Gerald. I think um, I, I think OU is going to be tested. I think Kyler Murray is going to be tested. I mean, we knew the hype. We know the kid can play uh, the other sport with a ball and, and uh, you know, maybe not other similarities in that. That has a bat. But, uh, you know, baseball, he's good at that. We know at A&M he was pretty good, you know, had potential, looked like he could be great, and we know he's looked great so far but let's see what he looks like with a Todd Orlando defense that maybe just doesn't you know 
have the delayed safety blitz every play. That was just something they did intentionally to try to throw Murray off. I'm, I'm doing the prayer hands right now. Um, but, you know, a Todd Orlando defense is going to have something for Kyler Murray that he hasn't sniffed yet. Um, and I'm excited to see how that battle plays out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because, I mean, Kyler is a talent. He is a talent. He's, you know, number 12 in the country. Or in uh, or I'm sorry, number two in the country in, in passing efficiency and number five in total yards. OU is number 12 in the country in total offense. But Kyler Murray's an insane talent, but I've watched a little bit of OU. Now, I haven't watched them, you know, week in and week out, but he's made a couple of business decisions. Well, granted, he hasn't needed to take a hit. He hasn't needed to try to fight for some yards, but it's it's not going to be a situation where you're going to be let to ta- make a business decision. And I I... If Texas can find a way to dial up the pressure and keep him in the pocket, if the if if Chuck and Breck can can hold the hold the edges, and if Texas can dial up some pressure, I want to see what what's going to happen when when Kyler Murray faces the best pass rush he's probably going to face all year. Yeah, and I think you can use you know historical precedent, right? I mean, I think the the last time that we knew of that an OU quarterback had a lot of money handed to him while he was playing quarterback was Rhett Bomar and he got the the snot knocked out of him so you know I we'll, we'll see Kyler take a couple shots that was I, I left my journalist mode for there I'll admit that um, but no I mean I mean I I think truly um, the other thing to really think about is is uh, OU hasn't necessarily played the best offenses and they 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 sit you know well in the the lower uh, tier of, of college football defenses so far this year and we talked in our season preview that that you know Mike Stoops is um, kind of perpetually on the hot seat and, and he's a good recruiter but doesn't always show up uh, on Saturdays and I, I think that's played out I think um, as much as we talk about Orlando being a great coach and having something in store for this OU offense I'm curious to see what Texas's offense which has been you know the lesser of the two units so far this year but has showed at times some promise what they can do to a Mike Stoops offense. You know, can this be something that, you know, we have one more, one more trick in the bag that, you know, they didn't scheme for, they didn't see coming. Um, you know, we have another twist to our offense. Cause you saw, you saw a clear difference in what they did against Kansas state versus what they did against TCU versus what they did against UC, USC. That was a game plan. They came in and looked to exploit or to show something they hadn't showed before and I think that's great. Uh, you know, this is probably the game you want to throw it all out there for. We'll worry about beating West Virginia down the line. But I'm curious to see with Tim um, Tim Beck coming back to the team. He will be back with the team this week. And, and Herman and just what they have in store um, for that Stoops defense, which has been susceptible to a couple different things uh, this season, um, especially, uh, especially through the air where they're 95th in pass yards uh, given up. So... I think I think you have to really watch it, and I think this is Sam Ellinger's game to win. Yeah, and I don't think there's anybody in that secondary that can handle a Colin Johnson. You know, we said it on the podcast, and then uh, you know Spencer, Spencer Tillman said it on the air that Colin Johnson fifty fifty balls are not fifty fifty balls; they're eighty twenty balls, and especially when you're giving up six to eight inches. Like he's six six, and a, a DB is five ten six foot at top end. So if you get him in one-on-one coverage, he showed on Saturday what that can be, where he can be the guy that beats, beats a cornerback one-on-one gets a couple extra yards and, and makes things happen. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, not only is he 6'6", and we, we've kind of seen, hey, he can go up and get balls. He's shown a nasty streak in the past couple of weeks where he's willing to go take a short pass, break some tackles, and make something happen. And that's that's a pretty incredible evolution. That's that's Sunday Colin Johnson right there. That's what we've been asking for uh, and wanting uh, to see him do. So, I mean, I think that and seeing Lil Jordan Humphrey kind of continue to get better and better is showing these guys growing and growing into, you know, some some truly elite college football wide receivers who have that potential to really go on to the next level. And I think that's exciting um, because I, th- I feel like it's been a while since we, we brought, you know, one of those guys to the OU game, uh, much less two who could, who could, you know, break it anytime, not, not to mention the game breaking speed all around them and some really good receivers. Uh, I thought DuVernay, you know, had another good game and is coming to his own, but uh, you know, I, I really think that passing game given, the right balls. I do think Ellinger needs to find some accuracy on the deep balls, but I think has a chance to to really open up the game a lot. And hopefully, a healthy Keontae Ingram can come underneath and really do what he's showing. He has the uh, the talent, a really special talent to do. Yeah, and I think you you hit on Ellinger making the right calls. Him checking down to like Becker Watson is is incredible because that's in a game like. Oh, you when you're playing against one of the best teams in the country, you just got to take what they give you and you can't force things. So I think that's that's been really impressive and indicative of the growth he's had. And I think, you know, switching back to the defense, I think if the if if the front it's five, six ish, they'll probably end up running the three, two, six or four, two, five on uh, Saturday. Pretty predominantly, if those front guys can get some pressure for some turnovers and then give Sam Ellinger a short field to work with. That for me is, is if, if you can give the offense a short field and let Ellinger operate in an offense that he's comfortable in, where it's zone read speed option, RPO play action pass. Like that is, that's exactly what we need. And again, just one final thing on that is I really hope they were possuming that speed option because it, it looked like absolute garbage uh, against Kansas State. So maybe that was intentional so they can bring it out of the bag in this next one. But I would be fine if that wasn't one of the plays. But I do agree. The zone read, something that allows him some some kind of quarterback draws or, or some run RPOs that allow him to use his feet in that best way pa- possible. I love that he got a catch in this game and he looked hungry or in the last, excuse me, Kansas State game. He looked hungry to find that end zone. He, you know, he looked like a, a big tight end out there with the ball and just wanting to make people miss and run over him, whatever it took to get to the end zone. I mean, put Sam in space. Let let the kid work, man. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, the offense, it's a good team. Let's not undersell you. It's a very good team. They're going to need to bring every bit of their capabilities and talents uh, to this one to, to make the uh, what I think is going to be a close game swing the uh, the, the Lord's way in, in the shade of burnt orange. Yeah, I'm, I'm just – if Texas can – if Texas comes away with the win, I think everything I said about Tom Herman up to this point is moot. <laughs> like stringing stringing together five consecutive, including a win over OU. Like I I said, week three game recognized game, and Tom Herman's looking real unfamiliar. He's looking real familiar, and so especially if they beat OU, he looks like family. He looks like somebody I know. Uh, so it's it's going to be interesting to me to see if Texas because this this year has been. Honestly, uh, other than Maryland, all about righting wrongs. Now, I would love for Texas to get matched up with Maryland in a bowl game or something just so they could get that win and get that blemish off. Um, but, no, I'm just – I'm so – I I have this, and I fight against it so hard because it sets me up for, for heartbreak. But I have this, this 
optimistic feeling for Saturday. Like Texas is is going to make this a game and can come away with a win if if things go right. Herman said it in in the Monday presser. Like he feels like their best is just as good as OU's best. And if Texas can play second half USC, you know, most of the game against TCU, first half Kansas State, that's that's a team that I would put on the field with most teams. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the mentality of a Herman team. This is an underdog Texas team. It's almost like like it feels a little bit like that Tulsa game coming off a game where it's like, that was disappointing. What are we going to be? It's almost like Herman wants like a, a little bit of a letdown so that he has something to, you know, to prod him with during the year. Just enough that he can still get the win, but then get him up for that next big game. So I'm hoping that's this. And you see that underdog Herman, you know, famous mentality come out and, you know, they – they get this one. I mean, I do want to ask real quick before we move off OU. Do you have a favorite OU memory that you want to give the folks? Take us down memory lane. So you you hit one of them. You hit you you started to talk about one of them. So um, the year that the Texas won the national championship, which was uh, 2005, uh, Texas was just plowing through people. OU was not very good. Uh, Big Red Motorsports himself, Rhett Bomar, was the quarterback, <laughs> and. I will like both halves of this play would compete for my favorite play of all time <laughs> on their own. But when you put them together, seeing Brian Robeson come off of that left edge, not even the blind side, just just the the facing side of the quarterback untouched, Bomar doesn't see him, goes down like Liston. Just just out, <laughs> out on his feet. Ball comes out. One of my all-time favorite Texas players, Rod Wright, like seamlessly scoops this ball up and just rumbles, running upright in the biggest man, big man run I've ever seen, and goes 67 yards for a touchdown to cap a 45-12 to 12 win. Like that, like the <sighs> hit, it's, that hit would definitely be ruled targeting today. And I... I'm okay with it. You know, it, it, yeah. it's it's a decade and a half ago. I'm completely okay with it. Yeah, I mean, fat guy touchdowns. God love them. And, and I mean, I no disrespect to, to to a beautiful, beautiful man who could probably outrun me uh, any any given day. day. So yeah, um, but you know, just still watching him rumble. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of a couple of my uh, these is these is honorable mention. But when you said it, it made me think of the uh, the Chris Whaley um, pick six, which was which was uh, unbelievable. And what I feel like I remember, oh gosh, I, I don't didn't have this one prepared, but it just popped in my head was the uh, the Chris Ogbenaya run um, in maybe oh seven, maybe it was oh eight, um, or maybe even oh nine. Oh, anyways, I'm 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 old. I lose track of things. But he he had a run that felt like it took I don't know. I'd say forty to fifty actual <laughs> real time seconds to go to go thirty yards. And it just I remember clutching uh, my buddy Colin who was next to me, and we're just shaking each other. And it felt like we did it for like thirty seconds, just watching him run so slowly, but past everyone. Um, but no, no, no. I have to go back to my to my actual favorite to uh, to two thousand eight. I mean. The stakes for that game were, were unbelievable. Um, I think it was number one versus number five, right? OU coming in yeah. number one. They they got up early, fourteen to three, and there was two plays in that game, both involving I'll say the same player. One obviously is the big Jordan Shipley touchdown. You know they they were down, it was over. U, uh, UT had just gotten down fourteen three. The momentum was all OU. Jordan Shipley, who didn't return kicks that year, um, steps back, takes it to the house, straight up the gut, like just. 
everything about that was was different but but in that that same game was the what I'll call the Shipley touchdown but really it's the Quan Cosby block which I think is still my favorite OU play uh he erased a human from I don't know that you can even find records of who it was on the receiving end of that and if you try to watch the video he just he just disappears he's he's no longer his birth certificate after that block trace it I mean you shouldn't play with that in your pads but I mean he made the decision and so Quan incinerated it but yeah I mean just utterly took everything he had uh and redistributed to charity because he's a good guy like that but um Shipley then, then you know, kind of like lunges in, being tackled into the end zone. It was just, it was beautiful. It was peak, wonderful, beautiful. Uh, Jordan Shipley and 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 Quan Cosby and Colt, obviously uh, days. I mean, just just the glory days. But uh, yeah, I think that one takes number one for me. Yeah, it's there's so many good moments in those games. I mean, oh, Colt, yeah. Colt McCoy, the the what was it, the forty yard scramble for a score. Uh-huh. Was, uh-huh. Just there's oh, so much. I just. Man, it's the pageantry of that game, and just just stuff always seems to happen. It's it's just, man. I oh gosh, I'll never get yeah. over it. It creates legends, man. This is your time if you're if you're one of these UT players listening to this podcast, and I know most of you do. Thanks for listening, guys. The official podcast of the Longhorn Locker Room. That's unofficial, but official. Um, if you're listening to this and you're just like, you know, I haven't gotten as much PT as I wanted. I I, I want, how do I make myself elevate my do it do it this Saturday. Go make a play this Saturday, and they will remember your name for millennia. I mean, you you can be an all timer um, off of one game, so go do it, man. Go. Uh, I think Stony Clark is that his name, the guy who had the big last minute stop in '94. I don't know a single thing about Stony Clark, but I know he had a tackle to like preserve a victory on the on the uh, like huge hit in the last last minute of the game. Um, I don't know who that is, but I know he did that. <laughs> I love you, Stony Clark. Um, you know, it's awesome. So just go make yourself a legend this Saturday, boys. Oh man, it is such a uh man, I love this game. And living in <laughs> Oklahoma it's weird because I don't have people over to my house to watch the game because uh I almost kicked people out of my house one year. Just so mad. So, but it's just oh, it's so incredible. Uh so we've got some quick news items. We're not gonna spend a ton of time here. Um well, we have to we have to mention you know Texas uh, lost a legend this week. Julius Whittier, um, first uh, African American to letter at the University of Texas in football, passed away. Uh, so that is that is a huge loss for Texas. Uh, the number four ranked Texas volleyball team opened up Big Twelve play this week uh, with wins over Kansas State and Baylor. They're going to take on TCU. On Wednesday, uh, the golf team, golf is back in action. Kyle, you hyped about some, some Longhorn golf? Absolutely. That would be the number eight men's golf team uh, looking good. They're basically playing in a tournament that's effectively like an NCAA tournament preview. Um, you don't typically see this stacked of tournament, but it is the excuse me, Nike Invitational. And as of today, we're recording on Monday. It's 11, 16 p.m. I know you still sucks. Um, the number eight men's golf team is in third um, OU is number two, number seven, USC, number nine, Duke, number 10, Georgia, number 13, Clemson, number 16, Vandy, number 20, Stanford, etc., etc. Um, so this is like the creme de la creme, homie. So I am, I am excited to see UT holding their own and I, and, uh, the, the freshman who we've hyped up on here, uh, Cole Hammer leading the way. So, uh, excited to see as the freshman, which they're really heavy on this year, um, kind of progress where, where these teams will all face each other in the tournament at the end of the year, but also, 
our better of our number uh, of our uh, golf teams, our number six women's golf team, if we're just going by rankings here, absolutely shattered their 54 uh, hole record as a team by 15 strokes, which is which is unreal. Um, they went from 839 to 824, which is 28 under. Um, I can't even do that in Tiger Woods video game. Um, but they happened to do it at a tournament in which um, national runner up last year, number three, Alabama, also shattered the NCAA tournament record by going. <clears throat> 45 under they shot an 807 that's 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 unreal that's literally better than what the the u.s men's Ryder cup team did against the europeans this week so i mean uh, honors to that alabama golf team but also to the uh, to the women's golf team who, who's out there killing it and they don't have to play alabama every single week so i think those might be two teams that see each other in a in a, in a postseason national championship tournament as well so so uh golf doing big things yeah it's it's incredible so some sad news a number eight soccer team dropped their first match of the season uh they bring the unbeaten uh down number down to four this year so they tied oklahoma state on the road uh which was their first top 15 matchup since the uh ncaa championship tournament in 2008 texas lost to tcu which is a 10-year losing streak they were on the road there uh they were missing two of of their uh, better players, Julia R- uh, Rosso and Emma Reagan, uh, were on uh, national team duty. They're playing. Uh, they're both Canadian, mm-hmm. which is interesting to say. Uh, but they they were out, so Texas was missing two key pieces and uh, suffered for it this week. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college sports, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. But before we jump into bang the drum, I want to give a shout out to James Boswell for getting on the conversation from last week's bang the drum. So if you guys want to get in on the bang the drum conversation, or if you've got something you want to bang the drum on, tweet us at Longhorn Pod or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. So get in on the conversation. But Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Before I bang a drum, I want to I want to propose this because it's related to banging of the drum. It's get college game day in, in Dallas this weekend. Um, there's a tr- tradition and a history, for those of you familiar with it, of, of very creative, uh, hilarious signs in college game day. And, and again, for our millions of listeners here, I know uh, a good portion of you will probably end up at the game. And so here's my, my charge. For whoever gets Longhorn Republic uh, on a college game day sign and on TV, if you can you know, give me some evidence of that or if I see it and contact us, we will name the bang the drum section after you for an unspecified period of time um it will be bang the drum as presented by your name so if you want to be famous in all of the world all of the land think about that when you make your college game day signs um i still think my favorite was when i made um both the chase daniel has a fupa and chase daniel has arachnophobia um which both made it made it onto tv uh when the missouri tigers came to town but now i'm ready to actually bang the drum so I'm I'm going to bang the drum real quick on our running back situation, and specifically on on one Kyle Porter. So we took five running backs to Kansas State on that road trip. Not 
uh, none of them were named Kyle. Um, we we had, uh, of course, our, our kind of three uh, who've been seeing the field, um, Keontae Ingram, uh, Danny Young, and, and Trey Watson. Uh, we also took uh, Kirk Johnson, Mr. Kirk O'Grimes, who's playing a lot on special teams, hasn't got any carries, looks like an absolute monster, though. Um, and Tennille Carter um, was, was the fifth. No, uh, Tennille Carter did not get any carries, and I, I think, to my knowledge, he has not gotten any carries this year and and he's he's not particularly pleased with that and i think he's a he's an attrition candidate and i hate to lose him because he was a good player but uh you know that that just could be a possibility but kyle porter not making it was kind of interesting um and, and herman addressed it when he was asked in his press conference today um and as has been the case throughout kyle porter's career herman had nothing but wonderful things to say and basically said it's his decision at this point he's played in enough games that if he plays again he will he will lose his ability to red shirt um and he's going to graduate so it probably to me means a grad transfer so it's basically Kyle Porter's decision at this point whether he wants to finish out his career uh, at the Longhorns kind of on the on the back end of a bench getting some third down blocking opportunities he does have a touchdown he had a touchdown against Maryland uh, but I think only has like two carries on the season um, just really hasn't seen the field a ton so it's kind of the ball's literally and figuratively in his court um, and so it'll be interesting to watch um, I, I hope that as Longhorn fans we cheer on Kyle Porter no matter what his decision is um, if he comes back and plays then we cheer him for for being a Longhorn and, and one to finish it out no matter how it is um and if he doesn't and if he chooses to take that retreat i hope we also celebrate him and he lands somewhere where he can go play some meaningful snaps and have that that kind of one last chance to to do the thing that he loves that he's dedicated his life to doing um and he has a lot of talent at let us not forget in doing so I, i'm begging the drum for it specifically for kyle porter and, and whatever his decision is uh at least one and i assume two of the host on this particular podcast will be uh, in your corner yeah you know we we make jokes and call him fourth quarter porter and all that but when push comes to shove i am always on the athlete side when it comes to making a decision that's best for their career and especially for a guy like kyle porter who this is probably his last chance to to lace it up and play not in a weird old guy league or something like this <laughs> is this is his this is his shot this is his career and yeah. so if if he can go and play another year of football and get a master's degree for free, go ahead. Like, do it. I I will begrudge you nothing. Like, you go and do that. And that's maybe maybe it's the millennial in me. Maybe it's because we're 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 old young guys or young old guys. I don't know which end of the spectrum we fall on, Kyle, but like I, I'm always gonna side on the side of the players. Yeah. I'm always gonna side on the side of the players. So go get go get your Shane Bouchel, same deal. If you want to transfer, take the shirt, go to SMU, and then get drafted by the Patriots in the eighth round and win a Super Bowl as Tom Brady's backup. <laughs> that was a Garrett Gilbert reference. Uh, do, like just do it. Like I'm, you know what? And I'm gonna be completely honest with you. We're gonna get responses about. Well, you saw what happened with Clemson. Yeah. Well. Kelly Bryant only has one year left of football to play and he wants to try to play a full season. So that's not on him. They made that decision to the staffing decision. So it, it is what it is. Also Clemson ain't got no quarterback as good as cam rising. Take that. To <laughs> that the is bank. true. That is true. Now. So yeah, I'm, I'm fully with you. So my bang the drum is this, this trend that I've seen recently of Texas wide receivers just being dependable. Uh, so I was looking at some stats uh, about Colin Johnson and Lil Jordan Humphrey. They they did not have the crazy outstanding light up the scoreboard game that you would uh, expect. Colin Johnson, four catches, 50-ish yards. Lil Jordan Humphrey, five catches, 50-ish yards. So 
basically together they had a good game for a wide receiver. But when you break down what those guys mean, uh, all four of Colin Johnson's catches were either for a first down or a touchdown. All four. Four of five Lil' Jordan Humphrey catches were for a first down or a touchdown. They were all first downs, but just to keep the thing going. Uh, so and then you see a guy like Andrew Beck that was just available for, for five-yard dump-offs and had a couple of touch, uh, first downs there as well. It's It's just giving a quarterback who's still trying to come into himself to a greater degree being a consistent target and somebody that I know, okay, if I get Colin the ball, he's going to get six yards or he's going to get 20 yards or he's going to get fit, but he's going to do something positive with it. If I get little Jordan, the ball, he's going to do something with it. I've always got Andrew Beck across the middle, which by the way, free bang the drum. If you haven't seen Andrew Beck take on three uh, Kansas state players on his own, you should check it out. It's on Onwar's uh, on Onwar's Twitter. It's incredible. Uh, but that was just giving that quarterback options to do that. And this is a stat that, that took me a while to compile, but it was interesting when both little Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson have what's considered an explosive passing play. So that's a passing play of 20 yards or more. Texas, it's happened nine times over the last two years, and Texas has won six of those nine games. So just having consistency in the passing game uh, is a huge differentiator, I think, for this offense. Yeah, I mean, and you saw, like I said, it didn't connect, but there was a, a wide open Devin DuVernay first quarter should have been touchdown, and Ellinger missed it. But what that does is having those guys where you have to keep an eye on them and your safety has to come help because also you've seen Colin Johnson and, and Lil' Jordan Humphrey take short passes, break tackles, and make them long passes. It keeps that guy just isolated enough, just watching enough that one of those is going to break, and they have a couple times, whether it's whether it's Hurd who, who actually made a great play you know, being a defender not letting an interception happen um, on, on a trick play, um, or or it's you know DuVernay being a step away from a from a long long game breaking touchdown. It is these guys, your anchors, your workhorses, that really drive every other piece um, in this type of offense. And in 2018, those are your those are your your stalwarts. That's your running back who's getting you know 25 carries. 10 years ago that's it's a different offense but that's what you have to be able to rely on day in and day out and it's incredible that texas has two of those guys and ellinger has two of those guys that he can feel completely comfortable with uh in those situations yeah and and again i think those guys are the guys that you're gonna have to lean on in a game like OU or you know in any sort of scrap so i'm glad that and I'm glad to see the distribution evening out as well. I think that's um, – you got to take what the defense gives you, obviously, but those games where Colin Johnson has two targets have to end. Uh, but that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. Uh, you can find the Texas Pregamer on Twitter at Texas Pregamer. And, of course, you can find our weekly uh, humorous article over at Barking Carnival, the Texas Pregamer. Um, and uh, follow me all of those places. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at G.H. Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Again, get in on the conversation. We want to hear from you. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend. Until next time, it's 1128. And OU still sucks.